Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Well, I'd opened up a beer can, Mike, but I did that 10 minutes ago before this camera screwed up on me. So I am pumped up. I'm excited. Maybe I got the pregame jitters going on right now. I'm a little jealous that everybody's listening to this show. They're they're already closer to kickoff time, Mike. It just ain't fair. So, But other than that, brother, I'm in, I'm in rare form, and I am ready to rock and roll, man. I'm yeah. ready for some football. <laughs> and we'll have it soon enough, Shane, and just hours away from Tennessee kicking off the season, Missouri kicking off from the season, mm-hmm. loads and loads of other games, and just one mm-hmm. day away from the rest of the SEC. Well, two days if you're an LSU fan, but – Hey, we got a loaded show, Shay. We got multiple guests on the line. But mm-hmm. before we get to all this, I, I just want to make a, another note. Hey, we got another Twitter Spaces coming up on Friday. Yes. The, I mean, the people that are showing up for that are having a great time. You can ask us questions. And I feel like this is going to be the best one yet, Shane, because people are going to be wanting to discuss our game picks for the weekend. And yeah. Again, that's 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central, Friday evening on Twitter. But can I make a bold prediction now, Shane, on on the Twitter spaces? Well, yeah, go ahead, man. If Tennessee loses to Ball State, Cousin Shane ain't showing up for that. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct, sir. As all the new listeners probably don't know, but Shane's got a pretty firm 48-hour rule, you know. Not, not like Alabama. Like, if you lose to Alabama, eh, you know, you kind of saw that one coming, Georgia, that sort of thing. But you drop one to Georgia State, shit, you ain't going to see me for a while. So, <laughs> I, 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 I just got to get my mind right. So, hopefully, you that won't be the case. You'll see me there uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed on Friday night. But, you know, another thing, uh, me and Mike are getting together tonight because you guys are watching this on Thursday. And we're going to watch the game. So hopefully, we who knows, we may even do a little Twitter spaces tomorrow just to play around and, and get your thoughts on the college football action. Yeah, I can't wait for it, Shane. I cannot wait for this loaded show. Like I said, we got Ty Richardson, our buddy, Ooh. ESPN Arkansas, is going to talk about mm-hmm. the Razorbacks and the Bearcats, Cincinnati Bearcats, that matchup. We got Will Miles from the Read and Reaction. going to preview Florida and Utah. Two friends of the show back. For this loaded, loaded episode. But before we get to those interviews, Shane, we had some big news here with the NCAA on Wednesday. So I had to hit on this just real quick. The transfer portal, Shane, they're they're yep. not they're not closing it, but they they're changing it a little bit. So stay with me here. Right now, the way the transfer portal works, you can jump into that bad boy 365, 24-7. Mm-hmm. At any point in time, you can jump in the portal. Well, that's coming to an end. It's what they're going to do, Shane. They're saving it for right after the college football season, December 5th okay. to January 18th. So you're going to have okay. 45 days. That's going to be a fun 45 days for us, brother, because <laughs> there's going to be people jumping in, jumping out, and all the recruiting that goes along with that. And then right after spring football, Shane, May 1st, to May 15th, two weeks there, right after spring, those are going to be the transfer portal windows. And I know 
you know, we're in favor of players being able to transfer, not having to sit out all that. But I do like this. I like the fact that particularly during the season and during fall camp, you can't just pack up and and, and leave your team because you're doing a disservice to the team. But I, I honestly think, Shane, I think you're doing a disservice to yourself because who knows, you may be second on the depth chart today, but yeah, you know, God forbid an injury happens. You're right on the field. You you could be a key contributor for the season. So thoughts on that, Shane? Two windows here again, right after the season, December fifth to January eighteenth, and right after spring football, May first to May fifteenth. Thoughts on that? I like it, man. I like the window. Uh, just you know, because sometimes it's been a distraction during the season, and right. you know, I understand. You know, these are kids, Mike. They, they're emotional, man. If I mean, I got a house full of women, brother. I know about <laughs> emotions, and sometimes they do things they don't mean, and they say things they don't, and then you know, sometimes I don't know if that's with the portal, but you jump in, you you become a news, you come a, become a, a piece of. Uh, an article that comes out over the weekend and maybe they're not talking as much about your team. They're talking about you. So I, I just, I like that. It's kind of getting away from the distraction of, of the uh, transfer portal and it's, and it's closing up in a window. So I, I think this is great. And uh, you know, so you, I think it kind of too takes off the, the pressure of these coaches worried about their kids leaving, you know, they can just focus on their team and task at hand. Yeah, so this is something that we're going to have to remind the audience about probably by the end of the – you know, we'll get to the transfer portal time, but thankfully for now we can focus on the field, focus on the football. But we do have one other kind of outside the realm, but this is a big deal, Shane, more SEC-centric, but it's going to start in the Big 12, Shane. I don't know if you saw this news, but on Wednesday it was broke that the Big 12 is negotiating new television rights contracts. Mm-hmm. And why that's important, they were not scheduled to do that for at least another year, but they are working with ESPN right now to get a new TV rights deal. And the only reason that I bring it up, it's very important for this show, the Big 12 cannot do a new rights deal unless every single member of that league, which right now is Texas and Oklahoma, mm-hmm. they have to sign off on it. And Texas and Oklahoma sure as hell is not going to sign off on anything that does not get them to the SEC quicker. Right. And, of course, the SEC has already partnered with ESPN. That is who the Big 12 is negotiating with for their new rights deal. So, you know, you ha- it's this is an assumption, but it's uh, it's got to be a safe assumption, Shane, that, you know, that fee, that exit fee that Texas and Oklahoma have to pay, mm-hmm. ESPN would be the one that is paying it. Yeah, ESPN right now is negotiating with the Big 12 for a new TV deal. So however you want to look at that, let's say the Big 12 is worth $30 million a, a year per school. Yeah. ESPN can knock that up and say, how about $40 million a year? But you got to let Texas and Oklahoma out of the deal because it, it serves us. So this is not just me speculating. There's people been reporting this. Texas and Oklahoma, this is a great, great news for people that want to see them in the sec even sooner and they're saying even next season potentially texas and oklahoma into the mm-hmm. sec so this is great news i think for the league oh man we're just it just goes to show we're all just puppets baby you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. esb disney they're gonna do whatever they want they're gonna make this happen either way and what do you do i mean 
you're hurting ESPN by not allowing them to do this. And do you really want to hurt the guy that's about to cut your check? So exactly, I, I think I think you're onto something here, Mike. It's going to happen sooner or later. We're not ex- we're not surprised at all. Um, but look look for some news here shortly to come out, uh, and, and maybe a quicker time frame for t- uh, Texas and Oklahoma to join the SEC. Yeah, and why this is even uh, you know you know happening so quickly, Shane. The Pac-12 right now, they are negotiating their TV deal. Mm-hmm. And this is why the Big 12 sped it up a year. Because they're worried yeah. that the, you know, with uh, Southern Cal and UCLA no longer in the Pac-12, their value is not, you know, where it once was. So right. whatever the deal is for the Pac-12, let's say they're worth $25 million a, a year per school. The Big 12, when they get to their rights negotiations – it's going to be based on what the Pac-12 is getting, so they're right. trying. They're trying to get ahead of that. So do, don't look for this to linger. Look for this to happen quickly because the Big 12 wants to get there before the Pac-12 signs the dotted line. And ESPN, ABC, their deals with the Big Ten are, are coming to an end. So ESPN's they mm-hmm. they need programming and they have extra money to spend on the Big 12. I do not anticipate this being. A months and months deal. I think this is going to happen within weeks that this is announced, and we're going to have confirmation of of how quickly Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the SEC, and it's looking like it's going to be sooner than expected. Hell, Mike, it may have already happened, and they just they're looking on ways of releasing this thing. So I, I think you're right. They, they cannot they cannot pussyfoot around. They have got to get this thing out there because like you said, if, if PAX comes out devalued at a lower cost, then Mm -hmm. that's exactly what these other schools are going to be looking at there in the, in the big 12. So no, this is, this is going to be a speedy thing. And and don't, like I said, don't be surprised if, if it's not already done, just maybe somebody hasn't signed yet. Yeah, exactly. Well, Hey Shane, one more thing before we get to our interviews here. I thought we were done with this, Shane, but it has been brought up one more time here. Shane. Why not, Mike? Why not? <laughs> and all of a sudden, man, this game, this may be the most anticipated Kentucky-South Carolina game of all time. And it's Shane Beamer still got being asked about Mark Stoops. And now this is some pretty bold comments here from Shane Beamer. So let's kick it over. This is from the uh, the SEC Coaches Teleconference here on Wednesday. Uh, hey, Shane, uh- I just want to ask you, you know, kind of looking at this from 10,000 feet, you've, you've done some really creative and, and fun things uh, on social media, uh, and I think it's to generate a lot of a, a positive attention uh, for your program. When another coach comes out and, and, and makes a, a off-handed remark, does that, does that discourage you? or just, I mean, how does it affect what you're doing when, when uh, other programs in the league, jealous or whatever, have comments? Uh, about social media campaigns, is that something you have to take into consideration, or would you talk to the other coach about that? No. Um, you know, I know the situation you're referring to. Uh, Mark said that he wasn't directing that uh, at us and, you know, didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, thinking about it beyond that. Um, you know, we we worry about ourselves. Um, certainly we want to do things in a respectful way, but – um, we try and, you know, worry about our own program and um, stay in our lane, as Mark said he tried to do when the basketball coach at Kentucky uh, made the comment about Kentucky's football program. 
So, you know, we're not for everybody, but one thing you can't say about us as a program is it's not um, that it's an act. Uh, what you see with us is what you get. We're real, you know, we're genuine, and, and you know, don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about people's opinions um, outside this building. Um, we try and promote our program the best that we can and 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 have fun. But, um, no, I mean, I... I uh, to me, we want to be relevant, and I feel like I'm hearing more from – not that I spent a whole lot of time looking at my mentions on Twitter, but um, I can certainly say there's a lot more Kentucky fans, Clemson fans, Tennessee fans, uh, Florida fans on there than there were last year. So maybe that means we're doing something right. I don't know. But ultimately, we're trying to just get ready to play every single week and, and make a statement on the field more so than anything. Mm. Oh, it just means more it just means more <laughs> and i love the fact that beaver says well hell this remember what he said when uh calipari called him a basketball school you know so he's throwing that <laughs> little knife jab in there but uh man i cannot imagine that mark stoops and, and shane beamer what regardless of what kentucky fans are trying to sell y'all or what story mark right. stoops has got these two do not like each other and it i mean it's it's evident it really is, and and you know it's funny because South Carolina. I don't know if you noticed there was other questions that came out. One of Spencer was all about the Oklahoma, and then we heard the Oklahoma walk. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems like it's nonstop over there in Columbia. It's like, what about these other schools? You know, what <laughs> what about us? You know, who gives a shit about Oklahoma? Who gives a you know nobody cares about Kentucky over there. It, but I, I, you know, they keep wallowing in it and they keep going at it. And then it just, it's, it's going to, it's going to carry over into that locker room. It's going to be pinned up in the locker room, you know, when they see these articles and hear this stuff and these hot takes out of Lexington. Mm-hmm. So I think when these two teams meet, it's just going to mean more, man. It's going to mean more to the fan base because every time somebody asks the question, the fans listen to the answer. So. Um, I love it. I, I, you know, I hope this is it. I hope this is the final one, but it's not Mike. I'm telling you right now because game week <laughs> is getting brought up. So yeah. And for South Carolina, Shane, I mean, it, those fans are fired up. They're excited for the future, but you can't even begin to take that next step in the East until you beat Kentucky. Kentucky's owned right. you and Kentucky, yeah. you know, they, they got their eyes on Atlanta. No chance in hell that's happening. If you slip up and you fall behind South Carolina. So just, this game means so much all the way around, no matter how you slice it. Man, there's so so many important games coming up, Mike, before then. <laughs> so, yeah, the, we'll, we'll talk about it a little closer to date. So, hopefully this is the last time we hear Beamer and Stoops' <laughs> argument, you know? <laughs> well, speaking of that, Shay, you're right. We got a hell of a game here coming up on Saturday. Arkansas hosting Cincinnati, a, a battle of ranked teams. Mm-hmm. Let's kick it over to Ty Richardson, ESPN Arkansas radio host who uh, gives us the latest down there from Fayetteville. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by our guy Ty Richardson, of course, host of the Morning Rush ESPN Arkansas radio, and you can follow him at Ty Sports Radio. Thanks for joining the show, Ty. How you doing, buddy? Mike, I'm great. What a Thursday. I mean, we are two days from the Mecca of all Meccas. College football is upon us. I am going to eat and drink my way through this season, (laughs) as I've done every year since 21 years old. Because you know us. We didn't drink before we turned 21, Mike. (laughs) Never, never. And speaking of drinking, I met up with you last week in Nashville. We went out for lunch, and, of course, we ended up at the bar. But then, as you told me, 
Hell, it you never really stopped that week, did you? No, we uh, <laughs> we went to a, a local yokel spot in Nashville, Tennessee, one of your um, watering holes, and then from there, just did not pace myself whatsoever. <laughs> went down to Santa Rosa area. Let me tell you something: if you're down at the Redneck Riviera, two words, and it's really one word. AJ's Graydon Beach. It is the best ratio of any bar I've ever been to in my entire life. It was nice. unbelievable, Mike. There are beautiful women in the South. Let me tell you. Maybe that could be a new sponsor of the show. Oh, please. AJ's <laughs> Graydon Beach, new sponsor of that SEC podcast. I mean, all the people listening are probably going down there at some point, so you might as well. So, hey, I already know the answer to this, but I got to ask you anyway. I'm sure you saw the clip. Uh, what what's Arkansas bringing to the party? They bring an iced tea. Or they bring in liquor this Saturday. Oh, liquor, dude. Pittman, <laughs> Pittman always jokes with the fans before a big game. He's like, let them get lathered up a little bit. He likes those night games. He makes references it too. I think he likes to to pop a one off after a win. I'm pretty sure he told us if I remember correctly that him, Hunter, and the wives and everyone else were up till four or five o'clock in the morning after that Texas win. And for good reason, after they pounded the Longhorns <laughs> into oblivion. So yes, Arkansas fans will be absolutely sloshed. It is going to be about 92 at tick kickoff on, on Saturday in two days. So hopefully there'll be a water mixed in here and there for their sakes. So I feel like this is the same conversation we have every year with Arkansas. It's a great time to be the, a Razorback fan. The basketball team's incredible. Baseball team, we all know the tradition there. Now football. What's the anticipation level, though, with the Razorback fan base that you're so plugged in with? I mean, can can you think of a time where they were this fired up for a football season? Man, it's been over a decade. I think maybe you can make an argument for 2015 with Brett Bielma, had Brandon Allen, Alex Collins and company. That was a pretty good squad. But they had some puzzling losses, including to Toledo. I don't know, Matt Campbell was the coach. Then I think Kareem Hunt was on that team as well. Also lost to Patrick Holmes in Texas Tech. So you lost at least to a good couple of big leaguers that we know now have success in the NFL. But at the same time, it was just an odd season. Dude, it is juice here in Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Harrison, Mount Hope, Little Rock. You go anywhere in Arkansas, only thing on people's minds right now is Razorback football, and for good reason. Sam Pittman's got these guys fired up for this season. He's got the confidence, too. I think that's another thing that he projects as a quiet confidence. He's very respectful of Luke Fickle in Cincinnati, and he doesn't want to give them uh, any sort of motivation heading into Fayetteville because they're going to be ticked off, but – there's a there's a confidence within the state right now, and Sam Pittman is really the order of that. I don't want to bring up too many bad memories because, like you just said, there's so <laughs> much to celebrate. But you mentioned 2015. Was that uh, was that the year we had the damn truck fire? <laughs> Brandon Allen's truck was either in 2014 or 2015. Best comment was when he's asked about it, my golf clubs were in there. Brandon's a Brandon's a a Fayetteville guy, Bobby Allen, his dad was uh, on staff at Arkansas. We know his brother Austin went there. He's a, he's a goober, man. He's, he's got the swagger of a QB one. I I know he's married now and has a kid, but that guy never left Z bar in Fayetteville without <laughs> at least one or two girls with him. That was just the, 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 the swagger he had on and off the field. But yeah, he, uh, he's a, he, he's kind of got a little goofball to him too. I think, I, I don't know him that well personally. I've met him like once and he was, nice enough but yeah that was uh that was I, that might have been the season before but it was definitely a memory that arkansas fans will hold the rest of their life 
So uh, looking ahead to the season, I mean, a lot of transfers incoming for Arkansas. Which one do you think makes uh, the biggest impact to start the year for the Razorbacks? I think it's got to be Drew Sanders. Drew Sanders coming over from Alabama, five-star kid out of Texas, catches guys that not linebackers don't catch, Malik Hornsby, uh, Satanis, wide receivers that other linebackers would get left in the dust, but this kid's just a different animal. You start at linebacker at Alabama, you are a different duck, and he's got some speed to him. I'm ready to see him come off the edge and light someone up, preferably his former teammate, Bryce Young, week number five. <laughs> but I'd settle for whoever Cincinnati trots out there. I know Fickle said earlier this week they've decided on their starting quarterback. Whoever they trot out there in two days, he's more than welcome to, to put a beating on them as well, Mike. Yeah, what do you think about that? I, I wanted to ask you, Luke Fickle not naming a quarterback. I mean, at this point in time, I don't see the need in it, but what's your thoughts on that? It's just a tactical advantage he's trying to use. He doesn't want Barry Odom to have every single bit of knowledge spent on one guy. Yeah. And so even if Odom has good sources or maybe someone's telling him pretty good information, he always has that in the back of his head. Well, what if Coach Fickle rolls out the other guy? What if there's packages for the other guy? Whatever it may be. Now, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw a little Malik Hornsby package, not necessarily just a wide receiver, but a different things. I'm really curious what Kendall Bryles does, but, I mean, Brian Kelly's not going to name the the LSU guy, even though we know it's going to be Jaden Daniels. I don't know if it's Altmaier or Dart for Ole Miss. I know that Haynes King just got named. Finley just got named, which I know you and Shane were talking about this week. I, uh, I'm i ready to see these SEC West quarterback battles this year and which one if they made the right decision or if they had to switch midseason. Now, if there's one guy that you can think of, of Ty, on this roster that may be the casual SEC fan, not a household name on this Arkansas roster that you think is a breakout player, potentially even right out the gate, who's the first name that comes to your mind? Well, I give credit to a guy that doesn't get enough credit, and that's the center, Ricky Stromberg. Here's an all-SEC guy, a guy that most fans, when you think about marquee players, you don't think about offensive linemen. It just doesn't come to. But he's going to be a potential All-American candidate. They haven't had a Remington Award winner, I believe, since Jonathan Luigs in 2006 or seven. He has a chance to be that. Sam Pittman, we know his success at offensive line. He was on record saying, look, Cody's better than I was, than I was at his age, and I think he's incredible. People seem to love Cody Kenny. His press conferences are fantastic. So I would say Ricky Stromberg, Mike, is my kind of unheralded pick if you ask the SEC fan, hey, which Arkansas player are you going to go with that might not be so known? Who do you think will lead Arkansas in receiving in this opener against Cincinnati? How about Matt Landers? I didn't think he was going to start. 6'5 kid, didn't really play at Georgia. Has a good year at Toledo, 500-plus yards, I think five touchdowns, had a really big – can't remember. They had one really big game. Randall Landers can just fly. And if you're 6'5 and you can run too, man, I, I, KJ just needs to throw you the ball. So, in post routes – and maybe it's just one or two deep balls, but you know how it is, Mike. All it takes is a couple long throws, and next thing you know, guy's got 70, 80 yards. I don't know if anyone's going to bust 100 yards in game one. I know Brian and Gardner are on the other side. But I think that if I'm fickle, I'm saying, look, I don't trust any of you wide receivers. Y'all can't do anything on us. I don't care if we just lost two guys to the NFL. Beat us right now. And I'm stacking the box. I'm bringing safeties down. I'm doing whatever it takes to make sure KJ, Rocket, 
If Dominique plays, AJ and the other guys, they don't beat us. That's my mindset if I'm Luke Fickle. Curious what he does on Saturday for that Arkansas offense against it. How many design runs do you think we'll have for KJ Jefferson in this ballgame? And, and kind of like a two-parter to that, but would you try to limit that? Because I think, you, you know, against Alabama, A&M, some of the better teams you're going to face, you know, KJ is going to have to put the team on his back. And certainly you'd hope that's not the case here against Cincinnati. So would you try to kind of limit his design runs? That's a great question, Mike. Kendall Bryles was on record saying that KJ is going to do whatever it takes to win. If it's a couple keeps a game, if it's 15 keeps a game, I think this guy just wants to win football games. And that's a player that you want leading your team, your program. This guy is a tough dude, a tough dude. You know how we always see these pictures of like a dog poking out of the heart? <laughs> KJ is that picture. He is that image that we see. He's just an absolute – and that's why all these guys follow him. So I, I, I don't think you can – necessarily limit i think that arkansas's running attack from the running backs will be better because they're back in browse's system for another year i don't know if kj will get i think he was 660 something last year i don't know if he achieves that uh so i'm kind of with you because i don't want him i don't want him to have to beat cincinnati you should have enough on your own to beat cincinnati yeah you need him for alabama you need him for AM. you might need him down the road for lsu we saw what he had to do against Ole miss last year to keep him in it so i'm I'm with in with your line of thinking on that one, Mike. What's the biggest uh, question mark that you have for this Razorback team that that you just you can't answer it until we see them on the field on Saturday? D line, man. I, I've said it for four months. That defensive line, and I don't care what positives come out of the coaching staff's mouth until I see what they they're going up against. Five returning starters on Saturday. It's going to be a pretty good telling sign. Now, it's not Alabama. It's not Georgia, LSU, some of the guys that will be on those rosters on their front five. But when you got five returning starters on a team that went to the college football playoff last year, it's a pretty big deal. And Barry Odom's going to try and dial up a bunch of different things, get Drew Sanders involved in the blitz packages along with some other cornerbacks and safeties. But your front four, or when they run three, last first four games last year, they were awesome. They got pressure with three. After that, not so much. So that being said, if that D-line is even slightly better than what Sam Pittman and company expect them to be, they'll win 10 games. They will win 10 games. But if it is the weak, if it is the clear weakness of this football team, then I'm going to be more around my line of eight, maybe even seven. If they step up, that is the, that is the key to the entire season, in my opinion, Mike. Maybe I'm overblowing it, but I don't think so. All right, Ty, moment of truth. Who wins a ball game? And you better not say Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I don't think Arkansas fans would ever listen to me on this show again or on the morning rush. I think they would completely eradicate me from their system. I think Arkansas is in a dogfight till about the fourth quarter, and they pull away late. I think maybe a turnover. We saw it last year against Rice. Rice. They had like 12 penalties last year, something insane. Pittman was asked about that earlier this week. He's like, yeah, we're going to clean that up. You can tell he was hot about that question and kind of the start of last season. I'm going to say Arkansas wins this game, and it's Thursday, so I have a right to change on Friday and Saturday. I'm going to say they win 34-17. to 17. I'm going to say Cam Little, Cam Little kicks two field goals. The defense is up to snuff. They might allow a touchdown or two, but 
I think 34-17 Arkansas fans would be more than happy. The line's like, depending on who you ask, it's anywhere from six to eight. So if you cover by that much, I think Arkansas fans should be hyped heading into a big game against South Carolina the following week. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Ty, I really appreciate your time. Tell the audience uh, where to find your work. Well, you can find me at AJ's Graydon Beach uh, this time next year. <laughs> no question about that. But, yeah, you can you know, at Ty Sports Radio, uh, the morning rush, the show that I'm with, uh, the voice of Arkansas, Razorbacks, Chuck Barrett, and then Tommy Kraft, who's the best boss in the country. We do that every day from 6 to 9 a.m. on hitthatline.com and ESPN Arkansas. So he's picking Arkansas, Shane, of course, as you expect to win big in this matchup, just so mm-hmm. you know. Shocker. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> All right, buddy. So, hey, I appreciate Ty, as always, hopping on the show. One of the best out there in the SEC radio land. But uh, confident in those hogs, Shane, as he should be. You know what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you talk about a team. You talk about a community that is that is just on cloud nine right now, it's the Arkansas Razorbacks. And, and you mm-hmm. see it online. You see it at every social media outlet. Hell, even TikToks. I keep getting I keep getting into their algorithms. And I, I, there's a lot of <laughs> anticipation, a lot of excitement over there, and rightfully so. I mean, you hear it in Ty's voice here. How many times during our Twitter spaces, Shane, we have Arkansas people coming there? And, uh, I mean, it was, it was not even a bold take by the end of the call that uh, Arkansas is going to beat Alabama. That, I don't even know if that's going to be a test. It's more like a speed bump for them fans. I can't, I can't even imagine what local radio is going through <laughs> over there because if they found that SEC podcast, I, because you're right, <laughs> they found our Twitter spaces, and uh, it, it is a lot of Arkansas, a lot of, a lot of just passion, and uh, and and it's time, man. They deserve nice things. They've 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 had some bad years, so um, I, I I hope all goes well, but. You know, now it's time to put up or shut up. You know, the talking season's over. It's kickoff time, baby. Our second interview, Shane, another great one. Will Miles reading reaction. Gators breakdown. Check out his website. He does a hell of a job. He's breaking down this epic game, Florida hosting Utah. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by Will Miles. Of course, you know him from readandreaction.com, the Stand Up and Holler. He's the host of Stand Up and Holler. He contributes to Gators Breakdown, the Outstanding Gator Show, and you got to give him a follow at Will Miles SEC. Will, thank you so much for joining me once again. No, I appreciate it. It's always fun. It's like like you said before I came, before we went live. It's uh, nice to talk about football finally. It, t- it seems like it takes forever, <laughs> and then it goes by so quick, so you got to appreciate it when it's here. Yeah, well, I know you don't want to talk recruiting, and neither do I because the games are right around the corner. But I do, I wanted to start with this real quick. How thankful are you that the Gators did not hire Scott Frost? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I last year I tug and sheet came up with an award called the Kirby Award because Kirby Smart always seemed to sort of, um, you know, put it put his uh, foot in his mouth when it was time for a big game, and he almost did for me last year against uh, Alabama in the SEC championship game. Obviously, um, made up for it on the back end in the national championship game, but I think Frost won it like four or five times last year, 
and he's on pace again already. It's uh, it's funny. I, I actually have no problem with the onside kick that everybody has a problem with. The problem I have with Frost is that he then went on the podium and was like, well, now that I've seen the result, I guess I wouldn't do it again. And I'm like, <laughs> boy, is that terrible process when you're when you're making decisions. That's how you end up losing, what, eight straight one-score games or whatever it is there in Lincoln. So I got a buddy who's a Nebraska fan, so uh, I, I, I text him pretty much every Saturday. My condolences, and uh, I'm happy with where Florida ended up. That's for sure. Well, uh, at over at uh, Read and Reaction, one of your most recent pieces, you talked about uh, the SEC East and how uh, the Gators. Where were they voted fourth? I think in the, in the media poll. Yep. But that that's not how my that's not how I voted. And I don't know if you knew this, Will, but we have the exact same SEC East predictions, which caught a lot of people off guard. Florida number two and Kentucky number five. Why is it that uh, based on your research that you think Florida could do as well as number two? Well, I mean, I think what you look at when you look at the SEC, regardless of what stat you're looking at, I I chose to look at EPA, which is expected points added. I also looked at yards per play in the article. Um, But regardless of what metric you look at, what happens is Georgia and Alabama have clearly separated themselves, both on offense and defense. And then there's just this grouping of teams that sort of all sat in the same place. And the records last year were completely dictated by essentially who performed well in close games. So Tennessee performed poorly in close games. I think they were one and three. Florida was one and four. And then you look at Kentucky and they were five and one. You look at Ole Miss, they were two and oh. So these teams that for all the advanced metrics sort of sat in a little cluster separated themselves from a record perspective because of their success in close games. And then you go look at who those teams are bringing back. And I think you look at a team like Tennessee, who's bringing back Hendon Hooker, and I have a lot of confidence in Hooker. I went to Virginia Tech as well, so you know I pay attention to them. So I paid attention to Hooker when he was there. He played really well at, at Virginia Tech and then took a step up last year once Tennessee finally put him in the lineup. But I think Florida was kind of fortunate to catch him early on in the season last year. And then you look at Kentucky, and yeah, they've got Will Levis coming back, but Wandale Robinson's leaving. They lost two offensive linemen who were starters to the NFL. Their running back is suspended, I think, for the first three games of the year, and one of those games is coming to the Swamp. Um, and, and so, and, and then their defense, Josh Paschal, is, was a huge part of that defense, able to be really versatile linebacker, a second-round pick in the NFL draft. So where are they improving if they're already in this cluster? And I think that's sort of the thing that I look at is you've from last year's stats, you've got this cluster of teams and who's taking a step forward, who's taking a step back. I think anybody who watched any of Florida last year knows that if Anthony Richardson's healthy, they've taken a step forward. And that's really the question I think for Florida is, is Richardson going to be able to stay healthy? Cause Jack Miller, the backup broke his thumb. So he's out for a little while. And if Richardson gets hurt, then Florida is obviously going to struggle. Um, that those were sort of, but but it wasn't really a hard decision for me. It was it was Florida or Tennessee, two or three. I think those are clearly the second and third best teams in the East, given the quarterback play that we're probably going to get from them, and given the limitations of South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. The hardest choice I actually had when it came to those Final Four was I think Vanderbilt. I picked them zero and eight, but that's because I'm not quite sure how far they've come in one year. But I think Vanderbilt may may come up and snipe somebody, may even end up in front of Missouri. Hmm. So what what is the biggest question you have for the Gators entering the season that, that we just cannot answer till we see them on the field? Defensive line. 
their defensive line was terrible last year. It was terrible two years ago. They've been in the bottom half, actually really the bottom third of the country, not just the SEC, but the country in terms of rushing yards allowed per play, in terms of expected points added, all the different statistics you look at, even if you just look at total rushing yards. Um, the LSU game last year was not an anomaly. They got run over, and that was pretty much what happened all year long. They had brought in three transfer defensive tackles last year to sort of plug the holes, and that was sort of a, a, a MO of Dan Mullen and his staff. They brought in a lot of transfers at defensive tackle. Adam Schuler was the guy they brought in from West Virginia, and he actually turned out to be a really really good player the problem is is that the three guys they brought in last year were just sort of meh they were they were okay but they weren't great and the defensive line got run over and I think that's really the big question for Florida is you've got Gravon Dexter everybody expects him to step up into a bigger role this year um, but they're also kind of talking about moving him out towards end kind of where Zachary Carter played you got Desmond Watson who's a real big guy in the center but but a big guy and he's one of those people who you're not gonna be able to put out there for 50 60 70 plays and so you start looking at the depth of defensive line, and, and there's just no experience there. And so Florida is going to have to have guys step up. A guy like Chris McClellan, who's a true freshman, top 100 recruit, but he's like the fourth guy listed at defensive tackle, um, when, at least in the two interior spots for this Florida defense. I don't necessarily want a true freshman as my fourth guy in the depth chart up front when I'm going to face Alabama and Texas A&M later in the year. So right. some guys who haven't gotten a lot of playing time are going to have to step up. And, you know, the, the quality of the transfer play from last year was not significant enough to give me a whole lot of confidence that's going to happen. And so I, I do think Florida is going to struggle to stop the run. Um, I, I think they'll be better against the pass this year than they were last year. So I think the, the, over, the defense will probably overall take a step up. But that, that's the question to me is defensive line. And they've had a couple of linebackers leave as well. In fact, one of them coming back this weekend. So uh, <laughs> but those linebackers who've left, you know, look, you, you lose a lot of your front seven with those transfers who left the linebackers who left. And now the question is, how do you replace them? And and the good news is, is that the front seven wasn't very good last year. So if you're replacing guys, at least you don't know. But that's the thing you just won't know till the snaps come is have Patrick Tony have the guys on the defensive side of the ball been able to secure that space. And they just brought Christopher Thomas back. He had been he had been essentially cut and they brought him back, which I think is a pretty bad sign in terms of what might be going on there on the defensive line. Hmm. Well, considering opening weekend is, you know, maybe aside from Ohio State, Notre Dame, the biggest game in the country. You got a new coach. It's at home. What's the level of enthusiasm and energy and excitement for this season opener? Uh, when's the when's the last time Florida fan base has been this fired up for a season opener? Well, so first off, you're missing uh, Bo Nix coming back to play to play uh, Georgia. I'm excited for that one just because <laughs> I, I, I I think Georgia wins that game, but I think it's probably a lot closer than people think, and I'm going to enjoy that one. But no, I mean, get, look, it's a brand new coach. The recruiting has picked up over the last month. And so the thing that was missing with Dan Mullen was not, did people think he could win a game when he had equivalent players um, and he kept everybody motivated. The thing that was missing from Dan Mullen was the hope that he was building the program into something else. And, and we basically got the exact same recruiting class every year and got the exact same results every year until, until everything kind of fell apart last year. With Napier, that that doesn't look to be the case. It looks like he's building. His transition recruiting class was around 89. This one's right around 92 right now. The question is, can he keep building that? But these games are sort of that next step in that build. And so everybody's coming in with hope that he's building things, with hope that he's building up to the Georgias and the Alabamas and the SEC. And this is that first step. And look, you can't get any better than a top 10 opponent. 
and in your home place, especially when it's somebody who who's from Utah, who's like pumping in humidity into their indoor practice facility to try to simulate what's going to go on in Gainesville. I've lived there for an extended period of time. You don't simulate that weather. Like you start cramping up the minute you walk outside of the house. And uh, that that's actually the thing that I think is going to be difficult for Utah is you come out and you're all hyped up and the first quarter they may, you know, they may get up and they're probably going to have to, because I sort of liken it to a sprinter. You know, if, if you're a sprinter, who's running a longer race, you start out with too fast of a pace and all of a sudden everybody else catches up to you. And when it's time to really put the pedal to the metal, you don't have anything left. And I think that's kind of, if Florida can keep it close going into the late third, early fourth quarter, I think that might be some of the things that you see is that the swamp actually becomes a real advantage from the standpoint of just the weather and, and the, the attrition that you feel when you're in that kind of weather. Mm. Uh, how big of his, uh, a concern is Utah's tight ends? I, I just had Steven Lazen on the show from Athlon Sports. They Athlon's got uh, the Utah tight end as an All-American, and he, and he says the the other tight end is is outstanding as well. Yeah, I mean they're both they're both awesome. I mean at the end of the day, that's a huge part of what Utah is going to try to do. Now, I I don't know what that means though for Florida because. One of the things you see when you watch Utah, even when you watch the games against like USC where rising was awesome and you watch the game against Ohio state where, where he was really, really good until he got injured. Um, when you look at those games, Utah was not blitzing 80 yards, 70 yards, 60 yard plays. And if you actually look at the stats, they were 14th and 10 plus yard plays, but then they were 54th and 20 yard plays and a hundredth and 30 plus yard plays. So I think Florida is going to be okay giving them stuff over the middle to the tight ends, allowing them to sort of first down their way down the field and saying, look, if it takes you five minutes to go all the way down the field and the defense doesn't break and maybe we hold you to a field goal, we're okay with that. And there are going to be some times where the, where the tight ends are going to win the battles. But the question is Florida's problem last year was not that a tight end caught the ball over the middle and won a battle. The problem was they would like forget to guard a guy on the left-hand side. And all of a sudden Tennessee streaking for 75 yards for a touchdown. I think Mordecai McDaniel's still standing there. <laughs> in, in the swap from that game against Tennessee last year. That that has been Florida's problem historically. And so if Patrick Tony and if Billy Napier have been able to build in the discipline they've been talking about all offseason, I, I, I'm worried about the tight ends from the standpoint of, yes, they're really good. But I think it's actually it actually plays into the fact that Florida's weakness is not necessarily um, is not necessarily guarding a guy who's not going to be able to take it to the house anyway. It's when you get a guy like, you know, Najee Harris a couple of years ago, when you get guys like Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, those are guys Florida just hasn't been able to guard and probably doesn't have the horses to guard um, extensively. But I don't think Utah is bringing those guys to the swamp. So, again, I think the tight ends are going to do well. I think they're probably going to have a touchdown catch or two. I think there's going to be a lot of third down conversions where Florida's getting where the where the crowd's getting hyped and gets quieted down because you get a 14, 15 yard pass. But as long as they avoid that 50, 60, 70 yard dagger, I think Florida will be OK. What's your expectations for Anthony Richardson in this game? Would you limit his quarterback runs or do you think this is going to be such a tough game where he basically just has to go all out to, for the Gators to get the win? I mean, I think that's the story all year long. I think one of the reasons that Napier brought in Jack Miller is he realized he was going to have to run Richardson in order to be successful, and that's not going to change. Florida's really thin at wide receiver. They're really thin at tight end, which is a position that Napier really likes, and they're really young at running back when you think about Montrell Johnson, who was at um, Louisiana with Napier, but you've got Lorenzo Lingard, who's been in the Florida program for a couple of years, but hasn't gotten a ton of carries, and the Naquan Wright's coming in off of a pretty significant injury during the Florida State game last year. 
So a lot of unproven, a lot of unproven guys at running back, thin at thin at wide receiver, thin at tight end. You're gonna have to take advantage of the fact that Richardson is your biggest mismatch on every single snap. And he does have the capability to take the ball 80 yards. And so, you know, the the ideal scenario for Florida, I think, is you know, Utah takes the ball, goes, you know, 70 yards in six minutes and 50 seconds stalls out around the eight or nine yard line, kicks a field goal ball comes back to Florida four plays later, Richardson breaks a 65 yard run. Like those are the kinds of things that Florida's is going to have to do to win this game. They're going to have to have explosive plays, more explosive plays than Utah does. And Richardson is the best player that Florida has to, to get those plays done. So I think the expectation is that they will use him to run probably early more than late. And more than anything, I think to make sure that Utah has to commit an extra guy towards Richardson, and then you can start doing some misdirection. The the scheme that Napier's bringing in, where they have a zone blocking scheme up front now, very similar to like those Terrell Davis teams in the NFL with 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 John Elway when he was there, uh, when they won a couple of Super Bowls. The goal is not the goal is to get the running back on the edge and then give him put his foot in the ground and go and get big explosive plays from those running backs. But if you have a guy like Richardson coming out on a bootleg on the back end, well, now you've got a myriad of different things you can do. And so I don't think he's going to discourage Richardson Richardson running. I think what he's going to say is don't lower your head, don't lower your shoulder and run into somebody just for the sake of running into them. But if it's open on the boot, go take it. You're our best open field runner. You have to do that. And uh, I don't think he's going to limit him. I don't think he's going to put the handcuffs on him. I think really Florida's not winning this game if Anthony Richardson goes down. And But Florida's not winning this game if Anthony Richardson's not Anthony Richardson. And so there's going to have to be that balance. And you know, you're going to have to tell him to go out of bounds every once in a while. You're going to have to tell him not to lower his shoulder. But I don't think you can take away the rushing component because just like rising, right? I mean, rising, surprisingly, I think you know when you watch him play, um, there's a lot more tape on him out there. But the plays that rising makes it really kill you are like the eight, nine, ten yard runs that extend drives. And you know he ran for like seven, seven yards in attempt last year. Um, Richardson was up around eight. So those are the things that kill you, and you're going to have to do that. All right, moment of truth, Will. I don't know if you're ready to to do this, but I'm not putting this out till Thursday. But do you got a prediction? Who's winning this football game? Does Florida win the first game of the Billy Napier era? Yeah, I, I think they do. I, I think this is one of these things where when you really look at the advanced stats, I would have been surprised if you told me on offense that Utah and Florida averaged the exact same yards per play um, against FBS opponents last year, considering that Utah scored almost a touchdown more. I would have been really surprised um, before looking at the statistics. And when when you, if you'd have told me that Florida and Utah were 0.1 yards per play allowed apart, when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, again, I would have been surprised. These are two very equivalent teams from last year, and Utah's losing quite a bit. I mean, when you think about it, they're returning 17 starters, but only six on defense. They got Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell, the starting linebackers who are leaving or who've left. You got free safety Vontae Davis. You've got a guy in Muhammad Diabate who's coming from Florida to Utah, but that rushing defense for Florida last year, Diabate was a big part of why that rushing defense wasn't very good. Um, and then you've got the Anthony Richardson upgrade. I mean, the reality is Florida left a lot of points on the field last year because Emory Jones was not either willing or able to get the ball downfield. Anybody who watched a bowl game against Central Florida, who was a Florida fan, was incredibly frustrated because he couldn't hit guys deep. He was just overthrowing them the entire time. Richardson seems to hit those. And then the other thing that got frustrating in a, in a game, the one specifically that jumps out to me is the Kentucky game. He just refused to go downfield, and Kentucky was able to compress, compress, compress. And it was really it was really enlightening because when Richardson came in the game for a few plays, they all of a sudden backed off. 
And you could tell that they knew that Richardson was the guy who was going to try to drive the dagger home and Mullen never allowed him to do it in that game, or at least it didn't open up in that game. But you could tell that they played those quarterbacks differently. And I think that to me is the difference in the game. You're home. I already mentioned earlier, the idea that in the third and the fourth quarter, Napier's going to run the ball early. If Florida can keep it close, then I think in the fourth quarter, they're going to be able to sort of, I think they're going to be able to take advantage of some of the deficiencies that Utah has on the defensive side of the ball and, and, and put it away, but it's going to be a close close game it's gonna be a really good game I don't anticipate this is one where like a team's gonna jump out 14 nothing or 17 nothing or something like that I think they're just really close and you know obviously Utah's coming in as a top 10 team Florida's not ranked but that's based on records last year it's not based on stats from last year and when you look at the stats and particularly when you look at the film Florida's gonna Florida's gonna kill people with explosive plays this year Utah's gonna kill people by going down the field and I think in the first game of the year when execution is how you're going to win. And that's really what we're saying about Utah or explosive plays. And then, Hey, you know, three or four plays are going to be flubs. And then all of a sudden you hit a big one. Those teams, I think are more apt to win the early games when a mistake can kill you. You know, if Utah brings in a new, you know, they got to replace free safety, Vontae Davis. If the new free safety comes up too far, Richardson hits that dagger behind him. You know, all of a sudden floor has got a, got a lead and it's just one play. And I don't think Utah has that ability, or at least hasn't shown that ability to have that one play to put the dagger in the, in the heart. And so uh, you're going to need that when you come on the road to Florida. Mm. Well, just some outstanding stuff, Will. I really appreciate all this Florida knowledge. Can you tell the audience where's the best place to find all your work? Uh, best place, readingreaction.com. Um, the the moniker there is curiosity applied to college football. So trying to take a different look at things within college football. Like you said, there's an SEC preview up there. Um, going to have the Florida-Utah preview up there before this goes live. Um, and so you can go over and check that out. A lot of the stats I've cited here are things I've been, I'm working on for that preview. And uh, we have a YouTube channel as well. So the Read and Reaction YouTube channel, uh, Stand Up and Holler, is the podcast we have on there. Um, it's definitely Florida-specific, but it's supposed to sort of mimic a PTI feel where we've got four different topics every week we're talking about. About. So, uh, you know, look, if you're a Florida fan, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to find better, better stuff out there, obviously. Um, but I think if you're a football fan, you'll hopefully learn something and enjoy it, even if you're not a Florida fan. Well, thanks again, Will. This was outstanding. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, thanks so much. Appreciate you having me. And he's got, he's got Florida winning. So, oh, of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a Homer podcast, man. <laughs> we ain't got no Debbie Downers on here. <laughs> To me, this is the best game of the weekend, Shane, because, yeah. you know, it really is a coin flip. Uh, we've been hyping up Florida. We know everyone else has been hyping up Utah. Cannot mm -hmm. wait to, cannot wait for this matchup. And, uh, again, I, Will really delivered here. Absolutely. Going to be such a fun game to watch. And it's a two te true testament, I think, of the power of the SEC. So, um, and just, again, see a new coach, see a new team in action. So, I'm, I'm really excited about this one as well. All right, Shane, the moment of truth. We got some games to break down, brother. You ready to talk some SEC football? Hell yeah. Let's do it. All right, we're going to start here, Shane. Missouri opening the season against Louisiana Tech. And Tigers, mm -hmm. Shane, favored by 20 points in Columbia. The over-under, 61.5 total points. Game kicks off at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central on ESPNU. Mm-hmm. And how about this, Shane? Oh, before we even get to the game, I, I just wanted to make this little announcement. Former uh, Miami Hurricanes defensive back Marcus Clark, he has transferred into Missouri. I don't think he's eligible right now, but he did start four games for the Hurricanes uh, last season. So nice little pickup here. 
And I don't know if you saw this. I thought this was fantastic. I wish we had the clip, but we it, it, this is from a radio show. Eli Drinkwitz asked, coming out, trying to get the fans to come out for a Thursday game. He says, hell, we ought to skip class on Friday so that all these <laughs> students come out. And I'm here for it, man. They need to, they need to skip these classes, don't they? Absolutely. Why not, man? It's gonna be they're gonna be up late. They're gonna be having a party over there in Mizzou. So I, I think this is a, an excellent opportunity. He says there's plenty of time to make it up. You know, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Shannon. You know, they they're setting up hell. It's a twenty point spread for good reason. Mm-hmm. Louisiana Tech three and nine last season, Shane. They were the one hundred and fourteenth scoring defense in the country last season the 117th passing defense and how about this Shane they're starting quarterback Matthew Downing yes he was at Georgia at one point in time here's his career number Shane this is not for like a quarter or a half or anything this is his career 282 passing yards one touchdown one interception mm-hmm. no chance in hell Missouri's losing <laughs> no. this ball game right no, no, there's no shot in hell, man. And and one of the things I love about this game is there's going to be so many questions answered. Um, you know, I, I look at Mizzou. I look at what Coach Eli's been able to do, especially with the running backs, uh, how many he's put in the NFL. And why, why do I think that we don't see the next NFL great playing on on Thursday? I, I, I'm just kind of curious and interested to see what is what is the next chapter look for the Mizzou Tigers? Uh, you know, you got a quarterback that nobody, including myself, gave him a shot in hell of having the starting position. And look, he's got it. He's got the reins. We said this about Georgia with Stetson Bennett. You know, it's just a matter of time for somebody takes it over. And then what? He goes up and he becomes a Heisman candidate. And I'm not saying that's going to happen there in Mizzou, but I'm just saying there's a lot of cool storylines coming into this game. And they're going to make some fun little narratives and cute stories about the famous people that used to play at Law Tech and coach down there. But damn, it does not matter. Like Terry Bradshaw. I was that. That's the first one I thought of, man. And he ain't coming out there slinging the rock. So this, and even if he did, his old ass would get beat by the Mizzou Tigers. I'm telling you, it happened right now. So are we doing scores already? Because I'm excited. I'm ready to put it out there, Mike. Yeah. What do you got? I got Mizzou winning this one pretty easily. 42. Law Tech 10. The 32 point ball game. I, I I think it's a little slow, a little sluggish at first, similar to that Hawaii Vandy game. But, you know, again, Coach Eli has got a lot of competitive depth, man. This ain't the same program that they had three years or that they had three years ago. So I, I think what, that starts to show later in the quarters. And uh, I look for Mizzou. Once, once they take that sizable lead, I don't think they release it. I think they win it all the way. Yeah. And I said Louisiana Tech, Shane, last year, 117th in the country in defending the pass. Mm hmm. You know who likes to hear that even more than I do is Luther Burden, Dominique mm-hmm. Bla- Dominique uh, Love it, Chance Looper, Mookie Cooper, Toski Dove, Barrett Bannister. I mean, this is one hell of a receiving core that could go off in this game. Missouri's offensive line returning 67 career starts, and mm-hmm. you know we we all obsess over the quarterback position, but I just named you that. Quarterback's two best friends, Shane, an experienced offensive line and a loaded and talented receiving core. Brady Cook is going to have himself a career game. And, you know, let's not ignore the defense, Shane. Uh, Chris Abram Drain had three interceptions last year. Jalen Carlisle had four interceptions for the Missouri Mm -hmm. Tigers. Both those guys getting interceptions in this one, Shane. I'm right there with you. Missouri 38, Louisiana Tech 17. 
I got the Tigers not only winning, but covering that spread. I I can't believe how many people think uh, Louisiana Tech not only not going to cover, but, but, but may compete with Missouri in this one. This could be a damn blowout. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Mike. And this is – we do it every year with one of these teams that pop up and we say, well, there's still a chance. And they show – like I said, it's the storylines. They show some game they upset somebody 14 <laughs> years ago. And this this may be the same opportunity. No, that, I don't I don't see that. Coach Eli's got a chip on his shoulder, man. And, we, and I don't know if you've, you've sensed it, but a little bit of attitude, a little bit of walking around. I, I think he's, he's playing with house money right now. And I think that gets shown a little bit Thursday. Yeah. All right, Shane, the game you've been waiting for. You've been dying to cover this one. (laughs) Tennessee hosting Ball State, Shane. Mm -hmm. Then Vols favored by 35 points. Good night. (laughs) The over-under, 68 points. This game kicks off at 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central on the SEC Network. Ball State was 6-7 last year. They do bring back 11 starters. But uh, how about this one, Shane? 83 of 112 of their players are underclassmen. Mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't sit well for old Ball State coming into to Rocky Top, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't, Mike. This is another one. I, I, I I'm pumped up, man. Like I said, I mean, obviously I'm a Tennessee Homer, but this is every start of the season. You 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 got your hop up. You got your you know. I mean, there's even the twelve and zero floating around. I know that's stupid for some, but it may it may work out. <laughs> but I, I the optimism is never higher than it is right now, and that includes me, Mike. I am on cloud nine with them Tennessee Volunteers. You know, last year we we struggled right out of the gate. We, we it took a little while to find our identity, but man, when we hit it, we hit it in stride. And I think I think Mister Hooker's got a he's got a new chip on his shoulder, and he's you know there's even the the ads in New York, the Heisman whispers and things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I expect a very very high octane offense coming out here uh, in Neyland Stadium. I expect the new light show, the fans. I mean, this place is going to be freaking rocking and it's going to be exciting. I wish I was there, Mike. Uh, but I'm telling you, brother. I say all that to say this. This is not going to be a ball game. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you could read between the lines there. But this is going to be an absolute bloodbath. I think I, I feel bad for Ball State. And you said 11 starters coming back. Mike, they could have 22 coming back. The only thing that matters is the kick returner because he's going to have ample opportunities to practice this coming Thursday. So Tennessee wins this one. Wager of the week. I'm doing a little, I'm doing a couple of wagers, Mike. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to jump in on this, but this. This is an easy one for me. I've already got it on the app. So if you feel confident that ball can't cover that spread or that, that Tennessee can't cover that spread, get on there. I've got all kinds of bets waiting for you. But I've got Tennessee winning. Uh, I'm going to get my calculator out here. <laughs> <laughs> I had it wrote down. 50, let's see, 49, 50. Where the hell did I write that thing? Pause it for a second. Damn it. I don't want to mess it up because this is, I'll see, 50. All right, you ready? Yes, sir. Fifth, Tennessee 59, Balls State 17. Ooh. <laughs> they get 10 of that in the second half. It's 42-7 and a half. I don't know if you're playing it that way, but this is going to be ugly, brother, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I got some stats lined up for you, Shane. Josh Heupel, 4-0 in season openers as a head coach, and not only is he undefeated, he's outscored the opponent 205 to 44. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's 8-0 all-time against the MAC. 
And we mentioned, yeah, Ball State's got 11 starters back. That's how mm-hmm. many senior starters Tennessee has back. 11 senior starters, 13 if you count the kicker and punter. This is an experienced group, Shane. How about some of these stats for old Hand and Hooker? 12 games in a row with a passing touchdown. One more, and he's number two all-time on the Tennessee list. And I got a little trivia for you, Shay. Do you know who's, who's number one on Tennessee's list? This guy's thrown – he threw a touchdown pass in 18 consecutive games during his career. Any idea who I'm talking about? Uh, 18 straight games? Hey, Shuler. Oh, man, I, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Peyton, but yes, it is. No. Heath Shuler is the answer. That was a lot of people don't know, man. That was my boy growing up. That's who I wanted to be. I didn't know Peyton Manning until it was, you know, in the nineties. But growing up, I was a huge Heath Schuler fan. But yeah, I'm sorry. Not a great, not a great NFL career, obviously, but you know, he was a hell of a college player. Yeah, so Hannon Hooker's got an opportunity to to potentially tie that or break that down the line. Hannon Hooker scored multiple touchdowns, Shane, in twelve of his mm-hmm. last thirteen games. Cedric Tillman. Seven games in a row with a touchdown reception. Tennessee returns 90 starts on the offensive line. Get the hell out of here with his Ball State 30. I don't care what the spread is, Shane. Give me Tennessee 65, Ball State 16. This is going to be a damn bloodbath here on Rocky Top. And I got just Mm -hmm. a a couple other guys to watch, Shane. I really want to see Jabari Small at running back. Been hearing great things of him in camp. Want to see how he has emerged as the go-to guy there in Josh Heupel's Mm -hmm. offense. We keep hearing about Byron Young. He's an all-SEC pick on a defensive end. Want to see him get to the quarterback, be active there. And the nickelback to Marion McDonald, Shane, kind of has come out of nowhere. He's going to start at nickel for them Tennessee Vols. And and one other guy that we kind of wrote off that – Failed to make an impact last year because he was injured. Now it sounds like he's going to be a starter at linebacker. Jawan Mitchell, the former Texas transfer. I think he's going to start over Aaron Beasley, which no due disrespect to Aaron Beasley, but I think Jawan Mitchell could be a massive, massive upgrade at linebacker for Tennessee. So uh, those are kind of the, the other things I'm going to be keeping my eye on, aside from Tennessee just shooting off fireworks after fireworks after fireworks <laughs> here. You know what? That's it, man. They better be loading up right now on the river. So <laughs> I, I, I also, obviously, Brew McCoy, I, I think they make a, a statement on that opening drive. Don't be surprised if he doesn't get three or four opportunities on that on that first touchdown drive. Yeah. How great is it, man, to just sit here and make some predictions? We're going to be watching some football yeah, know, just a man. matter of hours after literally months of sitting here talking about these games. I'm tired of talking about it, Shane. I'm ready to watch some football. How about you? Mike, I'm gonna be trying to sleep tonight. I'm gonna to be like, uh, I better get on that Twitter, see what somebody has said anything. <laughs> uh, wife's gonna be like, why is your phone glowing over there? <laughs> you ever seen that meme? Oh Who yeah. Knows? But it's, I think he, but he's thinking of another women. He's like, and I'm just like, I'm wonder how many times Brew McCoy's gonna to touch the ball in the first drive. You know, I say at least four times. <laughs> Yeah, buddy. Well, I can't wait for it. And on the next episode, of course, we'll be breaking down all the Saturday games. We're going to be doing it in person. Yes. It's going to be one hell of a show, so don't uh, miss it. 
We're going to be breaking down more SEC action. I think this is one hell of a show, but we got to cut it here. You get, uh, you got anything before we hop off the line? No, no, Mike. Uh, this time tomorrow we'll be up 15 points. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I look forward to hanging out with you. Uh, try to stay sober. I got work Friday morning, so I don't want to get too carried away. But <laughs> we'll see how it plays. You know, we'll just see how it plays. But uh, no, I'm 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 pumped up, man. I'm excited. It's like Christmas Eve, uh, and it's all weekend, man. If you yeah. were lucky, if you if you have a cool boss and you got all weekend off, I mean, you've got games on Friday, you got games on Saturday, you got games on Sunday. It's even Monday night. You're gonna have some college football, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm, it's take it in, man. It was long off season. We all made it. So this beer's for you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, brother, I appreciate you as always. I appreciate each and every one of you. Enjoy the games tonight and all weekend long. Can't wait for them. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls. Big time blowout. Blowout, baby. <laughs>